Live from somewhere down the rabbit hole, it's the Dockiverse Podcast, Episode 73, Attacked by Demonic Cake. On this episode, we've got a monster movie review, connected characters, and the GM's toolkit. So now, let's get things started. Hello there, folks. It is I, your podcaster and friend, Doc Cross. And I hope everyone has had a good week this past week. I did. We didn't do a whole hell of a lot. But uh, I got some chores done. Got some cooking done. Walked my dog many, many times. Took him to the dog park a couple times. Smooched my wife. So, you know, pretty good average week. I want to put in a little message here for what's coming up in the month of April. Because I'm going to switch away from a mostly straight-up sort of fantasy D&D flavor to this podcast. And we are switching over to Pulp, which is really one of my very favorite genres to do gaming in. So starting in April, Connected Characters will be about Pulp characters. The RPG prompts will have a more Pulp flavor, less fantasy. And uh, we've got a few other things changing, getting a little more pulpy. I imagine it will be that way for at least six months because there's a lot you can do with pulp, a lot of variations on pulp. Uh, everything from the great pulp heroes like Doc Savage in the Shadow onto pulp horror, pulp western, spicy pulps. There's just all kinds of pulp magazines. But now, I want to thank my patrons. So, thank you, David. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Avis. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, James. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Kevin. You guys are great. Your money helps out around here. I am looking in the near future to buy a couple more microphones, I think. Maybe at least one. That'll give me two microphones so I can maybe do some interviews with various gamers, friends, people I know. And we can get some different perspective from mine onto the podcast. And I might get a little mixing board. I don't think I have to pay too much for one of those. Just something to mix the two mics together. Nothing fancy. Anyway... My patron's money helps cover all that. And, of course, if any of you are listening on Anchor and you think, boy, I'd like to give Doc a buck or two a month, well, go on over to Patreon. And there it is. Sign up. I will thank you. And you'll get some cool stuff. Now it's time to move on to our regular monster movie review. And this is an interesting one. It's not a great one. It is actually kind of hokey. It uh, basically rips off Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with a more science fiction monster horror kind of vibe. It's called The Manster. Yeah, that's right. Monster, but it's a man, so Manster. Now, The Manster is a 1959 American science fiction horror film, which was shot in Japan with Japanese crew, Japanese actors, but it was all shot in English. It was produced by George P. Brakeston and directed by Brakeston and Kenneth G. Crane from a screenplay by Walter J. Sheldon. Sheldon's script was based on a story by Brakeston, which he originally titled The Split, which was actually the 
working title while they were filming the movie, and I think it might have been released under that name, not in the United States that I know of. The Manster, like I said, it rips off Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It starred Peter Dinelli as a foreign correspondent in Japan who was given an experimental drug which causes an eye and eventually a second head to grow from his shoulder. Now, when I saw this as a kid, the creepiest part was when he looks down and there's an eye on his shoulder. That creeped everybody the hell out. You have Tetsu Nakamura playing the mad scientist, Dr. Suzuki, and Terry Zimmern as his assistant, Tara. It also starred Jane Hyaltonis, who was Peter Dinelli's wife. It was released by Lopert Pictures in the United States on March 28, 1962, as a double feature with Eyes Without a Face, which is a far better movie, and I will at some point get around to reviewing it. So, your plot here is that an American foreign news correspondent, Larry Stanford, played by Dinelli, has been working in Japan for the past few years, and that's led to you know, his marriage being on the rocks. His last assignment before returning to his wife in the United States is an interview with the renowned but reclusive scientist Dr. Robert Suzuki, and he lives on top of a volcanic mountain. Isn't that cool? During the brief interview, Dr. Suzuki amiably discusses his work on evolution caused by sporadic cosmic rays in the atmosphere and, you know, other pseudoscientific shit like that. But Suzuki also serves Larry a secretly drugged drink, causing him to fall into a deep sleep. Announcing to Tara, his voluptuous assistant, that Larry is the perfect candidate for his latest evolutionary experiment, he injects an unknown substance into Larry's shoulder. Upon waking, Larry is oblivious to the true situation and accepts Suzuki's invitation to spend the next week vacationing with him around Japan. So, over the next few days, Suzuki uses Tara as a distraction, while he conditions Larry with mineral baths and copious amounts of alcohol, which exacerbate the pain in Larry's shoulder. Meanwhile, Larry's estranged wife has traveled to Japan to bring him back home with her. Problem is, Larry is used to this new life of women and drinking, and he doesn't want to go back. But that night, After a few drinks, Larry examines his painful shoulder to discover that a large eyeball has grown at the spot of Dr. Suzuki's injection. Okay, now that would normally just freak the fucking shit out of anybody and it would make a beeline for the nearest hospital. But apparently, Larry is not only horny and an alcoholic, he's stupid. He becomes aloof and solitary and he wanders Tokyo late at night. Then he murders a woman on the street. He murders a Buddhist monk and a psychiatrist while slowly changing form, culminating in his growing a second head on his shoulder where the eyeball was. Okay, that's actually a fairly funny part of the movie because the head is just fakey looking as shit. I mean, we were kids. The eyeball was creepy. The eyeball was creepy. The second head, not so much. So now Larry's seeking a cure, and he returns to Dr. Suzuki's laboratory, where Suzuki has just informed Tara that Larry has become an entirely new species and is beyond remedy. Entering the lab, Larry kills Suzuki and sets the building on fire and a bunch of shit happens. And in the end, you're right, he splits into two beings and fights with himself. I'm not going to tell you any more about it. The movie is, you know, 
something you can watch once, maybe twice in your life, and you'll be fine. Got poor reviews, rightly so. I think it only runs like a little over an hour, so it's not a big chunk of your life you're going to be losing. You should be able to find it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure you can also find it through Netflix DVDs if you want to go that route. And that is The Manster. And yeah, it's one of those movies you should watch just because you get to see an eyeball growing on a guy's shoulder. I don't know. Okay, folks, now we are on to connected characters. And this week, the connected character from last time is Quick Sally the Thief. And Quick Sally, early on in her career, uh, wasn't strictly a thief, and she met up with a couple of explorers. The first one is Sir Razana de Meradan, and he's a treasure hunter. And he's accompanied on his various missions and explorations with his friend of many, many years, Professor Leon Cardoz, who is a scholar and also a treasure hunter, but mostly a scholar. Now, Quick Sally worked with them for a while. She helped them out. She was able to find out things and go explore and climb into places that maybe they couldn't find, get to easily. And then they parted company amicably. Sir Rosanna de Meridan is not your typical big athletic-looking sort of uh, explorer and swashbuckler. He is a swashbuckler, but he's only about five foot six inches tall, and he is slender, though wiry and athletic of build, and he is what you would call a pretty boy. He's got a very good-looking, but not handsome, not rock-jawed handsome face. He's just, you know, he looks really like a young teenager. He has a mustache he's very proud of, and he's also very, very boastful about all his adventures, which he's really had. He's not lying about these adventures. He's just very boastful about them. He also is very popular with the ladies, but not really because they're looking for this big, handsome stud. It's because they're looking for this cute young guy to just sort of hang out with and, you know, maybe have sex with. Who knows? But yeah, he's not your typical rock-jawed adventure. Professor Leon Cardoz is about the same age. Both these guys are in their early 30s. But Leon is way different from Rosanna. Leon is about 6 foot 4 inches tall. He's very huskily built. He's a little on the fat side. He's got some muscle. Uh, he's a very big man. But he's not any kind of fighter. He's a scholar. He would rather run than fight, but if he has to, he can break a jaw with one punch. So the two of them go out and they find treasure and lost civilizations and stuff like that. You can use them in an adventure, having them uh, you know, go off somewhere and explore new areas, and maybe they hire your group of PCs to go along with them as protection or muscle or you know, just to help them find things. You could also get them into the adventure by having them come into town with a bunch of treasure and then they have to hire your PCs in order to keep this treasure because the local mob is trying to steal it. There are a lot of ways you can use these two characters. They could be a lot of fun. 
And remember that one is boastful, one is studious, one is driven by the lust for treasure and fame, the other is driven more by acquiring a vast knowledge of stuff. So there you go. A couple of characters who are connected, and they will be connected to the next set of connected characters, which I believe will be the last fantasy set. So that's your connected characters. All right, folks, now we move on to the GM's toolkit, and this is a very, very important thing for all GMs, and that's maps. A lot of ways you can do maps nowadays. In the old days, we used to draw them laboriously by hand. That is still fun to do if you have the time and if you have any artistic skill. Or, like me, if you don't have any artistic skill, you can still make a map. However, it's the 21st century, so if you want maps, the Internet is full of them. And I'm not talking about maps that you have to rip off from people. I'm talking about maps that people do for free and put up for you to use however you wish. There are also at least as many for sale. And some of them are extremely good. Some of them could be, you know, put up on a wall as a print. There are also lots of mapping programs. Just right off the top of my head, there's Campaign Cartographer, which has been around a very long time. And I'm not sure if any sort of new version is going to be coming out for it. But there's just a ton of different uh, styles of icons and things that you can use, terrain features, stuff like that. Um, other maps you can use are Worldographer, which is hex-based, very similar, makes maps that look like the old TSR stuff from the various uh, Forgotten Realms and uh, uh, Greyhawk stuff, you know, the old hex maps with little city symbols and stuff on them. A lot of fun to use. Very simple. Also free, but there's a pay version. There's a pay version of most of these things. Campaign Cartographer is totally pay. you got to buy that. But, you know, it's worth it. It's got a steep learning curve, but it's worth it. There are a bunch of these map makers. If you go on and Google uh, fantasy map making software, you'll see all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, like I say, you can just Go on the internet and download maps from people till the cows come home. You'll have tons of them. Village maps, city maps, country maps, world maps, regional maps, maps of individual buildings, maps of dungeons. They are all out there, folks. And it's all free or not too expensive. Another source of maps, and I have a lot of these because I inherited them when my mother passed away, along with a lot of other stuff, is road maps. Roadmaps from, I have roadmaps going back probably to the very early 60s, maybe even late 50s, because my mom and my dad never threw away a roadmap. And they bought a lot of them because we took very long car trips when I was a kid. Uh, you just take a roadmap and you lay it out and you put a piece of tracing paper over it and you go, okay, right here is Sacramento, but I'll change the name of that. And then there's a river that goes down to a bay. And that's where Oakland and San Francisco and Berkeley and all those places are. I'll change the name of that. And believe me, I've done that. And there you go. You've got 90-odd, 100-odd miles of river and roads and towns. And you just change them into fantasy stuff or change them into pulps or leave them as they are and say, okay, this is the 1930s. You may have to avoid a few of the larger freeways if you go back to the 30s. For instance, Interstate 5 in California and 80 was way different. Uh, I didn't 
Not even sure if 80 existed all the way like that in the 30s. But, you know, you can do it in your area. Go out to a rural area and, and draw in the roads and lakes and things. Just trace it, and you're good to go. Or just use the map and change the names as you're reading it off to your players and whatnot. Another way to do maps, I have seen people do, is to just print up a bunch of uh, hex symbols. Uh, you can download them from the Internet, just like all this other stuff. Cut them out, and then just turn them face down and deal them out to your characters, your players and stuff. And your players and you take turns turning them over and connecting them. This can give you a really squirrely map, so you have to use some rules. For instance, mountains connect to other mountains. Rivers connect to other rivers. Lakes can be either freestanding or they can be part of a river system. You know, you want coastlines to all connect. But other than that, you know, you can have forest here, rocks there, hills here, however you want to do it. And you get some interesting maps. And on some of them, you'll have city symbols or fort symbols or whatever you want. And that's a way to make a map, and it's kind of fun. Uh, you can also do the same thing alone as a GM. Just uh, take your sheet of paper, boom, 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 lay down the map pieces. You say, okay, that's pretty good looking. And then you take a picture, you print it out, and that's the map. Lots and lots of ways to do maps. Lots of ways you can make them yourself. Lots of ways you can use other people's stuff. Use road maps. Use travel atlases. I've got half a dozen of those. Just have fun and use all these various resources to make your maps. All right, folks, we are at the end of the program here, and I want to thank you all for listening. It's very kind of you to do that. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I am Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docverse blog, via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com, or if you're listening to Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. And if you're listening on the Patreon page, you can just type in a comment and we're ready to rock and roll. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts weeks before they go up on Anchor, and I mean weeks, in some cases as much as a month because I'm not posting every two weeks anymore. I'm posting like four or five episodes, boom, 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 in a row. Um, if you want to do that and hear me every week, then you go to patreon.com forward slash dot cross and you sign up for as little as a dollar a month and you hear the podcast or you can sign up for a little more and get the Doclopedia Death March, which I'm putting up. It's uh, a written. It's not a podcast. And I put up a whole week at a time every week on Monday. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it, Get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned earlier, and I will absolutely figure out what we can do. Our music was Walk With Me by Track Tribe. This podcast and everything on it except the music is copyright 2022 by Doc Cross. I will see you next time. Avis, I hope your leg feels better and you get all healed up. Live long and prosper.